Well, once again, thank you so much to all of those who have helped with our worship service, for Brandon Bull, who was our liturgist this morning, um, for the pictures that you saw from some of our Wacky Wednesday working in the garden, um, and also for our lunch bunch, um, some of the ways that we've been in mission and ministry this summer, um, for our praise team and for Gary Brubaker, who puts all of our music together, uh, and for, um, for all of those who have helped also in our in-person worship services. Thank you so much. For, um, for all the ways that we've been in ministry together. Like I said, we're starting this new series today, which um, I don't know, the weird stories just doesn't feel like the appropriate title or like it tells the full story. Um, but we're looking at some of the strange stories in the Bible or just some of those stories maybe that you're not familiar with because the Bible is full of stories, some that we all know very well and some that we just don't. And so we'll spend a few weeks looking at some of these stories that we may not be as familiar with, or maybe we only know just a little something about. And they're the, there's some of them that are the weird stories, and there's some of them that are concerning, um, and some we may wonder what they have to do with anything. Um, so we're going to talk about Lot's wife, Elisha and the she-bears, Balaam and the donkey, Jesus cursing the fig tree, and Eutychus. So, this morning, Lot's wife. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, um, in the Bible, there are 66 books of the Bible. Uh, so from Genesis to Revelation, there's 66 books in there, um, and that's not including any of the books that are not contained in the Bible. Sometimes they're called the Apocrypha or Lost Gospels or um, Extra Canonical, uh, but there's 66 books. Um, I forgot to look up how many verses that means there are in the Bible, but it's a lot. Um, so it is, I mean, it's it is virtually impossible to have every single story memorized. Now, maybe you have a lot of verses memorized, or perhaps you even know a full book that you have a full book of the Bible memorized. But I think that it's virtually impossible to have everything memorized. And um, this is not meant to be a gotcha question, but how many of you have read the Bible cover to cover, um, read all of the stories in there? Some people try, like they make it like a New Year's resolution, um, and they try to read it, and sometimes it you get lost around maybe numbers or maybe even in Genesis, uh, or, or even in reading the Gospels. Um, you know, it's just hard to read everything full through. And even if, even if and when you do read it all the way through, um, to remember every single story that's in there, it's, it's hard to do. Um, and some of that sometimes is also because um, we love to tell some stories because we like them, because they make us feel good. Um, there are stories that we like to tell, maybe because they're dramatic or because they have um, action or energy, or again, they make us feel good. Um, and then there are some stories that we don't know or like to tell because they're obscure or maybe even confusing. Um, like, I, I don't know why, I don't know what this story means and so why am I telling it? And then there are also some of the stories that we don't tell because they're 
They don't make us feel good, and they might even be disturbing or concerning. And all of these stories are found within the Bible, which tells our story. I've said, uh, I've probably said this several times that it's been a few years ago now, but I had a conversation with someone who said that they only let the, their children read the Bible because it's G-rated. And um, my response to that is always, have you read it? <laughs> I mean, the Bible is anything but G-rated. I mean, it's really complicated because humans are really complicated. And within the Bible, there are beautiful stories that maybe you could call G-rated. Um, and there are also stories that are really complicated. I mean, because humans have difficult relationships, and there are stories about that. There are stories about difficult relationships. There are stories about abuse and oppression. There are stories about rape and murder. There are stories about deceit and hatred and more. And there's sort of, um, there's a subcategory of Bibles, of Bible stories that's been known as terror texts. Um, it was a term that was used by Phyllis Tribble, who is a theologian and a scholar about, uh, about Old Testament in particular, but about the stories of the Bible. Um, and she uses the term terror texts to describe stories that highlight um, sometimes the silence, absence, or opposition of God and human cruelty. And often these stories are about how women were treated, although not exclusively. For example, do you know the story of Jephthah's daughter or of the unnamed woman in Judges 19? Or perhaps the story of Jael? And I thought about including some of these stories in this series this month. And I have to admit, um, finding ways to preach about them is indeed difficult. And reading and hearing them is difficult also. And so that's often why these stories are unknown to most people, because they are indeed difficult. They describe challenging situations, horrifying images, things that we don't like to talk about, and also things that people have experienced. This is part of the Bible too. I met with a former youth who, um, when we met, he was furious um, and he said, you never taught me the Bible. And I thought, well, gosh, I thought that I tried. Um, and I said, well, what, what didn't I teach you? And he said, you didn't teach me the real Bible. And what, came to, what we came to understand and in our conversation, he had read some of these more difficult stories and didn't know what to do with them in relationship to his faith. And so he was considering abandoning his faith because he couldn't reconcile these stories with God. And the truth is sometimes they're not reconcilable. Sometimes they are stories of human beings doing terrible things to one another and also claiming that they're doing them in the name of God. 
It is important for us to know that these stories exist and these stories are a part of the Bible. And sometimes they're a challenge to what we know and understand about God. It doesn't mean that we throw them away. It doesn't mean that we ignore them. It means that sometimes we have to wrestle with them. It means that sometimes they're not reconcilable with who we understand God to be. They're sometimes difficult. And aren't there parts of your story that are difficult? Not just the stories of scripture, but your own story. We have difficult pieces of our story, sometimes that we wrestle with, sometimes that we'd rather not have exist. They might be stories of abuse or neglect. In a previous church, I met with a woman who was 85, and she was the most cheerful, helpful woman um, that, I mean, I think probably that ever existed in the history of time. She was just uh, willing to lend a helping hand, and um, I went over to her home for lunch one day. And as we sat down and we were talking about all of the, the trinkets around her house and, and just her love of life, um, she said, well, you know, it probably stems from the fact that my father tried to kill me when I was six months old. And then he left me in a shoebox in the middle of a field. I was adopted after that. It's a difficult story to tell. And it's one that helped to shape her and who she was, but not one that was easy to work through and didn't leave scars. And sometimes stories are like that. So all that leads up to even this story for today, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is a story that you have probably, maybe you've heard in passing, Maybe you've heard just the association of the names of the cities, or maybe you've heard, oh, you know, like that story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe you've read it and you know what the story is. Um, maybe you've heard about it only in association with sexuality. I mean, as with many things in the Bible, it's always more complicated than it seems. So these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah they were cities of the plain, which was known to be quite good and rich land until they were destroyed and leveled because of their sin. And they were guilty of many sins. The sins that they were guilty of, according to the scriptures, were uh, haughtiness, ego, not welcoming visitors, and attempted rape. God pronounced judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and Abraham, who was who had, God had made covenant with that um, God that Abraham's descendants would outnumber the, the sand, grains of sand, stars in the sky, um, and so God told Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to level them. They're uh, I've, I've pronounced my judgment. They are terrible, horrible, evil people. I'm going to destroy them. And Abraham had this bargaining conversation with God. Abraham said to God, okay, but seriously though, if I can find 50 righteous people 
you won't destroy it. And God thought about it and God said, no, you can find 50 righteous people. I won't destroy it. And then Abraham goes, how about 40? What if I can find 40 righteous people? And God says, no, you're right. 40 righteous people, I won't destroy it. And Abraham goes, um, how about 30? 30. Um, what if I find 30 righteous people? And God says, yeah, 30 righteous people, I, I won't destroy it. And then Abraham goes, how about 20? What if I can find 20 righteous people? And God says, yeah, 20 righteous people, I won't destroy it. And then Abraham goes, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, how about 10? I'll find 10 righteous people. And you know, he's probably thinking in his head like, okay, my nephew lives there, his wife, their kids. I can find 10 within them, 10 righteous people. And God says, yeah, find 10 righteous people. I won't destroy it. So this is a, uh, a difficult area. Um, think um, like Job wanting, uh, not wanting to go to Nineveh. I mean, there's a reputation about the city. And so Lot is Abraham's nephew, and he lived in Sodom and was visited by two angels. And he invited them to stay overnight. They ate a great dinner together. And just before bedtime, um, the men of the town came to Lot's house and banged on the door and demanded for the guests to come out of the house so that they could rape them. Now, this had nothing to do with their gender. This was about the fact that these were, were strangers and they were guests and that they were not welcome in their community. So it was about not welcoming the strangers. Okay. So instead of sending out the angels, Lot comes to the door and is like, guys, calm down. How about instead of the angels I send out to you to do, you know, what you're talking about, I'm going to send out my daughters instead and then... <clears throat> and so they said no um, as... Right. Um, and so then they said no and um, they, um, they said to Lot, hey, you're not from here anyway. You're not one of us anyway. So uh, you can't be fair and, and without judgment. Um, so we're going we're gonna to do this to all of you. And so they try and break down the door. And then the angels blind everybody. And they tell, um, they tell Lot that they were kind of just here to check in. And then they were going to destroy everything. Um, and so Lot and his family, you guys should leave before this happened. So get everything quickly you need and leave. Um, but once you do, just don't turn around. Just go. Just go. And so it comes to the next morning and Lot and his family are still there. They are not, they're not rushing. They're just kind of hesitating and waiting. And so the scripture says that they took them by the hand and said, let's go, get out, I'm serious. 
This is not child's play. This is not messing around. Get out. And so they finally did. And as they're leaving from this place, which is going to be destroyed with hellfire, damnation, brimstone, you know, all those things. Um, as they're leaving, they're told, don't look back. You're going to this place um, called Zoar, and it'll be safe, it'll be good, everything will be fine. Just go and don't look back. Don't turn around. Just keep going forward. And so they leave, and they're going to the safe place, except what happens? Lot's wife turns around and she looks. And she becomes a pillar of salt. The end. Except it's not really the end, of course. And oh, the rest of the story wouldn't be a happily ever after story either. Um, Lot and his daughters have a really complicated relationship. You can read the rest of it if you want in the book of Genesis. Really complicated, really hard, really challenging. Okay, so that's the story. That's the background, that's the story. And now the sermon is over. <laughs> if only were that easy, right? So, so what? So what does the story have to say or do with anything? What does it tell us? So it's not a story about sexuality. It's also not a feel-good story. It's not like a good bedtime story. It's a complicated story to be sure. Now, it's a story that also tells us a little bit about geography and explaining what people see in the, in the, in the landscape. It's, it is a story that tells us about God's care. And maybe I know it doesn't seem like it, but in the story, God was willing to find even 10 people. And Abraham negotiated that with God. God cared, and God doesn't want to destroy everything. So it does tell about the care of God. It's a story about hospitality, about how to welcome the stranger or not welcome them. It's a story about listening to God's call, even when it's scary or it doesn't seem to make sense. And it is a story about the faithfulness of God. It's a story that's a part of our story. And it's a story that should remind us to do better, to treat one another better and respect the humanity of one another better. It's a story that should, should invite us to listen to God's call better, even when it's hard or uncomfortable. It's a story that should remind us to trust in God's faithfulness, to care for humanity. It's a story that reminds us to look forward in hope and not back in despair. That even when there has been trauma in our lives, there is still hope. It should be a story that reminds us, do better. But what do you hear in the story? How does the story help you understand God better? 
how does it help you understand God's relationship with people better? How does it help you understand your relationship with God better? I think those things are just as important to remember in these stories because they have something to say to us here and now, not just years ago. Maybe for you, it's a story of hope without abandon. Maybe for you, it's a cautionary tale. Maybe for you, it means nothing. Maybe you're left with more questions than you have answers. With these stories, may we be open to the ways that these hard or confusing stories, they tell our stories, the ways that God speaks to us through them, the ways that they help us discover hope and love, the ways that we discover the faithfulness of God, the ways that we learn more about God, and always the ways that God invites us into these stories and invites us to share our own. Thanks be to God. Amen.